Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I learned it at the software company. I started as the lowest paid individual in the company. Wow. And then uh, I used to make my calls on a fold out metal chair in a storage closet. And, and then I became the EVP of sales and marketing. So I went from being a bad culture fit as an individual to a bad culture fit as a leader, because then wow. I created a team of, it's all about us. It's all about us. We are going to dominate. And, you know, so then uh, I got promoted to president. Wow. And I remember I walked in the day after I got promoted and I turned the lights on. I got there early, first one there, and it hit me, man. It hit me hard. I was like, oh, wow, I'm responsible for all of this now. And I quickly realized in that moment, I'm only as good as the great people I'm surrounded by. I, you know, the only way this scales with great people, and you have to rely on great people. What's up, guys? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershaz, and I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine is about two things. Number one, people are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world. Doing both of these despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews of world-class speakers and business leaders showcasing their origin story, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now, so it can help you step into your greatness within your own life, business, and career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years in entrepreneurship as a CEO to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation and messages, and I'm stoked to have you guys here. Guys, welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazday, and as you guys know who follow the show, the show's about two things. People are living their passions and people, those who are creating greatness in the world. And we got Javon here, my man, Javon McCormick, who is living his passions to create greatness in the world. And we're going to be talking all about that. I said, hey, um, Javon, is there anything that you want to promote in particular? He's like, you know, man, I'm just an open book. And I said, I'm good because I'm a fucking open book too. So we're going to chop this shit up. So guys, like you got two open books. And um, speaking of books, <laughs> we're going to be talking a lot about books, but um with that said, I, I do want to do a quick intro of my main man, Javon. Uh, Javon McCormick is the CEO of Scribe Media, and they were recently ranked the number one company culture in America by Entrepreneur Magazine. Uh, he's a board member of Conscious Capitalism and the Startup Foundation author and highly sought after keynote speaker. Dude, welcome to the show, my man. My man, I appreciate you having me. This is awesome. Uh, I, I, dude, the pleasure is all mine. So I want to tell you a really quick story here. 
So I've been hearing about you now since I first met Tucker. I live in Austin too, by the way. We're we're both Austinites. Oh man, we should have done this live, brother. We're, I know, I know, I know. It's ha- we're just gonna have to hang out after this. Hey, everybody, we're gonna hang out, and you guys may or may not get to hang out with me and Jamon. <laughs> but so I uh, I know I didn't even think about that. Now that you said it, we totally should have done this live. Um, so uh, I am in Gathering of Titans at MIT. Ooh. And I'm the chairman for it this year for 2021, and I'm and I'm going through the, like last year got canceled because of COVID, right? And I'm talking to Mike Maddock, who I think you know, yeah, yeah. And he's like, he's like going down the list, and he's like, you know, we're trying to see what's because I'm I'm redesigning it with my own theme and stuff like this. Well, you know, pick pick, you know, you might want to get in touch with some of these speakers, and I'm like. He's like, yeah, there's this guy, um, Javon McCormick, CEO of Scribe. I mean, I just heard he's incredible. <laughs> so I was like, well, good. He's going to be on my show. And then, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll let you know how I feel about it after the show. But um, but yeah, man, I've been hearing that from so many people. Rand Stegan's a buddy of mine. He was oh, on the yeah. show. I'm telling you, bro, we, we our circles run all over each other. Wow. Um, so yeah, man, I'm so pumped to have you. I was like, I was like, I had this feeling that we would be enjoying ourselves. So here we are. Let's do it. How are you doing, man? Man, I am. I am excellent. I'm always excellent. If you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the ground, damn it, you better be excellent. I love that. I love that. So those of you guys who don't know this, um, I am a client of Scribes. Um, I published my book that just came out September 15th, Core Value Equation. I'm a guided author um, that went through the program. I, did, I was in the March uh, 2019 cohort, and so. Um, when I first got there, I went and interviewed with with your partner, Tucker Max, who's yeah. a guest on the show. And he was introduced to me by a guy named John Rulin, who I believe. Yep, yep. Well, yeah, I'm telling you, I'm just going to go down and list all, all my buddies. And you'll be like, those are my buddies. Yeah, uh, did that book. Did that book. <laughs> yeah, right? All the people you guys have done books for. And we, I was talking to Tucker. And he's like, yeah, man, because I'm a serial entrepreneur, right? And he's like, you know, I just knew I had to bring somebody into the company that could really grow this thing. And we brought in, you know, Javon. And, he, man, he's just been fucking killing it dude he's just like he's and this is like a couple years ago and i was like oh cool and then i went to the de- to the office downtown there and and i didn't get to meet you and i was like man i, I want to meet this guy and your name just keeps popping up man so you're doing a lot of good out there because everyone talks about you so dude how let's start from the, the from the from the get-go where are you from how did you get to where you're at let me let me hear the the, the oh moment. man you want to go oh. boom I, i'm mic drop give it to Woo. me so what version of this do you want, man? I mean, let's, so let's do like the 10 to 15 minute version and go, you know, you can go as, as deep as you want to go knowing that we, we, we want to chop it up and talk about all the cool yeah. stuff you're up to now. You know, so, so man, I, I'll, I'll give you the brief overview where, where people are, are mainly intrigued with. I'll take it to the very beginning. My, my dad was a black pimp and drug dealer in the 1970s. Uh, and, and he was a real pimp. He put women on a street corner. They sold their bodies. And then, and then my dad took every dollar. Uh, he also fathered 23 children. So I'm one of 23. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm one of 23. And I, I, I'm like number five. And so it's but my mother was, is white and she was an orphan. She was raised in a 1950s institutional orphanage. And, and unfortunately for her, one of the first people she met when she got out of that orphanage was my well-dressed, fast-talking, quite a bit older father. And so here, here I am. Uh, again, I'll give you the cliff notes of it, man. I was in and out of juvenile three times as a kid. 
Uh, I was sexually molested by one of my dad's prostitutes uh, at the age of six, seven, and eight years old. I don't have a, uh, I got a GED, but damn it, it says high school diploma on it. So I got a high school diploma, but yeah, I got a GED, no college degree. And man, here I am. I've got a last name that to this day, I don't know where it comes from. Uh, my mother received that last name in the orphanage. But when she went into labor, my father was nowhere to be found. My mother walked herself to the hospital, gave birth to me. And, and so she gave me her last name. So I've got this last name to this day. I don't know where it comes from, why I have it, but I'm proud of it. it it's, uh, it's my own legacy piece now. Now I have my four children and my, my wife took my last name. And so uh, that's cool. Uh, you know, so I started yeah. my own legacy. I, I've always been intrigued. You, you appreciate this, Darius, Darius. I've always been intrigued by families who can trace four and five generations, you know, yeah. the Ford family, the Kennedys. Man, I can't trace 30 minutes. Uh, so, <laughs> but, you know, it through, through it all and, and you know, into to my career, uh, I had the in, incredible uh, blessing to be the president of a software company. I don't write code. <laughs> I was surrounded by very smart people, so that, that made it beneficial. And then here I am, CEO of a publishing company, and man, can't spell, can't tell you an adverb from an adjective. So God bless America. Well, you know, my feelings on that are that the role of the CEO is two-piece. And it, it and I used to say this, I mean, I'm, I just retired as CEO of my last company, but um, I said... Um, I used to tell people, I said, I don't care what the product is. The product's a widget. I said, yes. the role of the CEO is twofold. When you own the culture and you, your job is to hire the best people to get the job done. That's, yes. that's your job. That's your job. You own it. So if that place sucks, you own that too. Right. You managers in there doing the wrong things, you own that too. But you own the culture, you own the, you own the C-level, and you own the, the executive group. Oh, and, man, you, you, you nailed it. I, I say the exact same thing. I say, I don't care what your product or service is. Every company has to have what I call the business of business. Every company doesn't matter what your product or service mm -hmm. is. And you know, first and foremost, I always say, know your numbers, know your company. Don't know your numbers, you don't know your company. Yep. And so, you know, even here, my three rules of leadership. Rule number one: surround the company with people far smarter than yourself. Yep. Rule number two: surround yourself with people far smarter than yourself. And then rule number three, repeat rules one and two. I'm, oh. I'm, I'm done. Game over. <laughs> you know, I, have, I have one to add to, to yours because mine, mine is similar. It's um, rule number one, pinch pennies, which some people may disagree with. Rule number two, never listen to sales. And then rule number three, <laughs> see rule number two. Sorry, people. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that, man. So, so at heart. I'm a, a salesperson at heart, man. I love sales. And what's crazy about it is I've always said this, 90% of all salespeople suck. And yeah. if you're offended by that, then you fall in the 90%. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, they do, man. They're, they're, it's well, and I blame a lot of it around the, the, the managers, right? Because they don't yeah. want to, a lot of times the best, the managers, the best salespeople become managers. They shouldn't be. Right. And then they don't cultivate their team. They don't manage them up. They don't hold them accountable. They say, go do it the way I do it. And they're like, I can't. I'm not, I'm not a good right. salesperson, right? Yeah. You know, you've, you've always heard this. Sometimes your best salesperson is your worst uh, manager or, or leader. Uh, it, it's hard to make that jump between individual producers, a salesperson, and to make that, that jump into leadership where now your role is to make sure to ensure the success of the team versus yourself. 
And, right. you know, sales is a very selfish position, especially when you when commission is on the line, because it's all about you. And, and God knows, man, I was one of the worst. It, it was all about me. I was not a culture fit. Uh, I should have been fired 71 different times because it, it was all about me. And, and I didn't give a damn about anybody else. Yeah, no, no, it, it's it's um, it, what makes a great salesperson, to your point, generally speaking, a great salesperson is not necessarily going to be aligned with the company. And, and so. I do think that when you have that, that's where leadership needs to step in and say, like, listen, you have to put the company first. You need to yeah. sell the company. And I'm going to hold you accountable to that because I'm not going to have people here just working on your behalf. Like, this is not the Javon show. I mean, it is today, but <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? And, and so I wrote in my book, you know, chapter, I think, three it is, is I say, look, like, you don't want to be beholden to your top producer if they're not a cultural fit. It's not. It, there's yeah. a lot of damage that's being done. I actually love to hear your thoughts on that because what I have to say is I believe that it dissuades other top producers from joining you. You lose a lot of engagement and, and profitability out of your team in the backside of the business. And the reality is, is there's I call it hidden expenses all around when you have the top producer damaging the culture. What do you think about that? hundred uh, percent, man. You, you heard me just say it. I should have been fired 71 different times. I was not a culture fit. It was all about me. Here's the, the uh, uh, take it next level damaging. When my mentality, no matter where I've worked. So this, this isn't just even in, in, as a salesperson, my mentality was always work yourself into a position of need and not want, meaning you want a lot of people to stay, but you need certain people to stay. And I always worked myself into a position of need, which was even worse uh, for, for a culture fit, because now it's like, oh, we need to let him go, but we need him to stay, but we need to go. And and yeah. so it, it's very damaging. I, I'm very happy I learned that lesson. I learned it at the software company. I started as the lowest paid individual in the company. Wow. And then uh, I used to make my calls on a fold out metal chair in a storage closet. And, and then I became the EVP of sales and marketing. So I went from being a bad culture fit as an individual to a bad culture fit as a leader, because then wow. I created a team of, it's all about us. It's all about us. We are going to dominate, you know? So then uh, I got promoted to president. Wow. And I remember I walked in the day after I got promoted and I turned the lights on. I got there early, first one there, and it hit me, man. It hit me hard. I was like, oh, wow, I'm responsible for all of this now. And I quickly realized in that moment, I'm only as good as the great people I'm surrounded by. I, you know, The only way this scales, with great people, and you have to rely on great people. So even now, man, I, I it's a bit disgusting to me when I see CEOs win so many different awards, CEO of the year, this CEO that yes, you make some decisions. Yes. You set direction. Yes. You, you know, you uphold the culture. Great. I agree with that. But the fact of the matter is you're only as good as the great people you're surrounded by. So mm -hmm. if you're going to give me an award for, for something, give me an award because we've created great hiring practices. <laughs> give me that award. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's like, executive team of the year that might be a better award if right you know because the only ceo award i like and i and i actually got this one that that i'm proud of is the is the employee i got the was rated the ninth highest ceo in america on Glassdoor, wow. and wow that, and that's my employees saying it right yeah that's, so i'm that's the one where i'm like 
I feel good about that one because I'm like, hey, these are my team saying I'm fucking badass, right? That's huge. That's like, huge. But, but that's the one. But the, but like when you see like entrepreneur of the year and shit like that, you're like, ah, it's a vanity metric. Right. Know? Like e even there, to, to your point, all of the awards, you know, because like you said, we've been rated number one company culture in America. We've won best place to work in Austin, number two best place to work in Texas. I love all of those awards because yeah. they're blind surveys that – the, the tribe, our, our, our company, they take them. And so we're winning those awards based on how the tribe members feel. Love right. those awards. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius from Shazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now, and let me tell you, They've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life. From canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now, I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. The, the, and you guys, hey, look, you, I, was, I was gushing on my episode with Tucker. He brought me on, actually, I don't know if you know this, Wednesday, yesterday or the day before, 
I did, uh, it was me and two other of the guided authors that finished our books, talked to like 50 guided authors. And he brought me on that because we was on the show. I was bragging about Scribe so much. I was like, and, and I'm nice. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like bragging about how good of an experience I had. So I, so here's the funny thing. Like I realized everybody wants to write a book, right? Yeah. Almost everybody. It's like, oh, I'm thinking about writing a book. Oh, I want to write a book. Right. Oh, wrote a book. I want to write a book. Right. And, and so, which is cool. Like, like uh, there's no harm in that, but it's a bitch to write a book. Right? Yeah, so it is. <laughs> it's a work. Right. And I also realized something else. And like, you guys should coach your guided authors on this. When people say, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm embarrassingly admitting this right now. So I talked to a lot of people and I'm like, they're like oh, you write your book with this. Oh, Lion's Crest and Scribe. Oh, I'm writing my book with them. And I go, oh, did you, are you doing guided author? I just say, I'm just wondering. By the way, I'm never asking that question ever again. Okay. I, I'm three for three on, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's guided author. I'm like, oh, cool. How, how do you like, you know, how's your vomit draft going? And they're, they give me like, like they have no idea what I'm talking about. And, they're, and I'm like, so wait, are you writing, like, like writing it with the group? And he goes, and they're like, yeah, I have a person. I call them up on the phone and we talk about my book. And, and I'm like, Oh, that's, I said, that's a little bit different. And I try to like, you know, I, I try to backpedal a little bit. I'm like, yeah, right, right. different, the guy at author. That's cool. That's awesome, man. And, and, and every time they give me this look like, what, do you think you're better than me? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, because you you actually went through the course of doing your book. And then there's the authors that we work with that uh, are going through Scribe Professional, where right. they have the one-on-one individual uh, scribe that that's, uh, you know, helping them to create the book. So yeah, it, it, it's like a battle of well, which service did you use? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. So I was like, and I realized most of them don't, most people don't know the difference, right? So yeah. then it becomes a conversation of what are you even talking about? So I was like, I'm never asking this. Last the last guy got up and walked away from me in the middle of the conversation, and I was like, Damn, I really want to pick this guy's brain on some other shit. Oh well, yeah, you guys uh, should coach your guided authors not to ask other authors if they did guided author. Yeah. Like, like I, I've learned the hard way not to ask that question. But it's like, it's like asking, "Hey, what's your salary?" Yeah, yeah. How much you, how much you make? How much, right. How much, how much you worth? Um, so I have a question for you, though. So it sounds like you were working for the software company, started low men on the totem pole, and really worked your way all the way up to the top. And then you're like, "Fuck, I can't behave the way I did before." And not only that, like I got to hold my team to the standard that no one was necessarily holding me to. I mean, you got, yeah. you got. I mean. You said you would have fired yourself essentially totally. as a salesperson, but you got rewarded for it. Walk us through like like that. That's interesting, right? You actually got rewarded for something you would have fired yourself. You know, at, at the time, I didn't I didn't realize it. I just knew my my role was to bring in business, go close, go bring in business, and so I, I was doing that. I was performing. I was bringing it in business. And truth be told, be, before that, I had worked at Wachovia and I had worked at Countrywide and I had worked in the payday loan industry. So I worked in, you know, industries that were just cutthroat, didn't give a damn about people. So when I got to the software company, it was truly the first time I had ever even heard the word company culture. Like, what, what is this? What is this culture you speak of? And, you know, putting people first. And, and so it took me a while to learn it. So as I was selling and closing, I was also learning what was it like to put people first? What was it like to bring people together, uh, company offsites and, and, 
those were things that I had no clue about. So I was getting better as I, as I went, I was learning, growing and improving, but yeah. Oh, I, I totally would have fired myself a couple of times. So wait, so actually uh, 71 times. <laughs> so you and I both come from the mortgage industry then. Oh man. I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. If it was not for the credit crisis, man, I would have stayed in the, in the mortgage industry. You're, oh, Darius, you're going to appreciate this. So, so I got to tell you the story. So I did my book with, with scribe, you know, I came on, did my book, then became the CEO, so on and so forth. Uh, we were at my book launch party and a lady comes walking up to me and she goes, Hey, I read your book. It's incredible. She said, Hey, I saw you uh, wrote uh, a lot of nice things about countrywide home loans. I said, Oh, I loved it when I was there. I said, in the story of uh, Angelo Mazzello of how he started the company on a, on a card table and in front of the, the courthouse and, and grew it into the largest, the world's largest homeland. I said, man, I love Angelo Mazzello. And she looks at me and she goes, that's my grandfather. Oh, and I was no like, way. I was like, no way. No and way. she stands there right in front of me and she texts him and she said, I'm standing here with someone that worked for, for Countrywide. He's a huge fan of yours, blah, blah, blah. She arranged, I got to fly out to California, Monticello, uh, and meet uh, Angelo Mazzello in his house, took me to his office, walked me through the history of Countrywide. Man, one wow. of the greatest moments of my professional career, because uh, you know this, Darius, so many people, countrywide, banks, Goldman, so many people called a bad rap. And it wasn't all the banks. It was not all the banks. No, no, no. But like, listen, I was on the receiving end of that pretty bad. I was a broker and a correspondent lender. And my book, my, you should read my book because you'll appreciate it now. Um, first of all, it's a great book regarding how to scale core, core values to, for, to become the language of an organization, which you guys, I believe, are doing a pretty good job of. Um, I did tell Tucker I was critical of some of your core values design, but that's a story for another time. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I uh, I grew up in the mortgage industry, and yeah, you look, man, Countrywide did one out of every six loans in America. Yeah, like like, like put that in your pipe and smoke it. Like that's crazy. There's, yes. there's a there's a company now that is the first mortgage wholesale lender to beat countrywide called United Wholesale Mortgage. They, they just did it last year. They'll do it again this year. It was the first time in 20 years that that, that it was a record set in 2005 at Countrywide. So that was a, that was a badass company. I was I was the a broker, number one broker in California for Countrywide. Wow. Nice. Yeah, yeah, man. We're going we're going old school, people. You yeah, old, school. old school, man. Old school. It, it's, <laughs> it's, funny that it's so many people have have asked me and say, well, why don't you feel that it was just the bank's fault? And, you know, I'll, I'll speak on my, my personal opinion so much. So many people in our country, not all, but but a huge amount of our people in, in our country don't take accountability. And what what really bothered me is, yes, the banks had a hand in what they were doing and the mortgage lenders and the brokers. Yes, they had a hand in it, but no one forced you to sign those papers. And I've and I've always had a problem with the fact that you should know what you're signing. You're you're signing for thirty years or a two year arm or a three twenty seven whatever it is. You're signing these papers, and you might want to know what you're signing. And and that's always bothered me because you know this as a society, man. We'll put more effort into researching a weekend getaway to to Vegas or the coast than we will into something that we're signing our name on for for thirty years. You know, we'll spend more time yeah. uh, binge watching 
Game of Thrones, then we will figuring out, okay, what, what is this I'm about to sign for the next 30 years? So I, I, I always found it interesting that, you know, everyone blamed the banks, but you saw very little personal accountability. Oh, it was crazy. It, look, I was I, I was on the receiving end of this in such an ugly way because I was and what the lawyers had a field day after 2007. I had this is a funny story. You'll appreciate this because were you at World or what or Wachovia or both? Both. Yes, it was with World and then Wachovia Ball World, man. Yeah, I was yeah. with both of them. <laughs> I know. I know. I, nice. We, we, were, we were riding shotgun in the same industry. I was I was a big world world uh, lender too and broker. So um, people, I heard this stat recently that I think looks to what you just said, which is that people will spend more time researching a refrigerator than they will for a six-figure investment. And that's exactly what you said. Like literally there's little data around this that people will give someone a hundred grand to put in an investment, but they spend no time reading, doing research, figuring out what the hell it is. Give them a hundred thousand dollars. Yep. Then they will for a $1,200 fridge. They're going to put in their kitchen, right? Which exactly. when you think about that, it's, a, you know what it is? It's financial illiteracy. That's what it is. And, and, and so there's probably something around education and that we need to like address this earlier in life with people. But, um, that's an issue. And what I found was in that time I had, I had uh, this one situation happen that kind of said it all to me. I got sued by a borrower. Uh, my company did. And, and my co- I shut my company down in 2010 because we were just getting pummeled by these like stupid, like ambulance chasing attorneys who were just suing anyone that was involved in the loan. Yeah. I, was bro- I was a broker. I was like, I, I just took the application. Right. 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 Um, and, and so um, the guy files a class action lawsuit against my company. Now, mind you, my, my company's like puny at this point. Like, I went from a, I was number forty in the Inc. five hundred in two thousand seven, but and I went to the ceremony in September, and and when I got there in September of 07, I joked I was the fortieth fastest shrinking company in the United States. At <laughs> <laughs> that point, you were, <laughs> dude. I was. I went from one hundred and fifty to ten employees in ninety days, and so I on like you probably saw the Inc. five hundred thing and just thought we were bigger than we were, and so I show up at this class action lawsuit where there's one person in the class, this woman, and I'm sitting across the aisle in this courtroom in San Francisco, and she's giving me the dirtiest fucking looks. Like, she's just shooting laser beams through me. And I'm like, dude, I was the CEO of the company. I have no idea. I didn't talk to her. All I was was the guy behind three. I had three managers between me and her, right? She was just one loan we did that month. And I'm like, this is so uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm like getting like, just like, like gouged by this woman's eyes. So I go to my lawyer and I go, Hey, ask her a question. Cause I didn't know the answer to this. I said, ask her what type of loan she was in that we refired her to. So we gave her a world savings pick a pay. Oh, you didn't put it on the pick a pay. The pick a pay was the best of the, of the best of the bunch actually. So I took, I gave her a pick a pay, but that's not the punchline. My lawyer goes, well, ma'am, um, when you took the, the loan from Twin Capital Mortgage, you went from a, a certain type of loan that you were in before into a pickup pay. Can you tell us what type of loan you were in? And and then they pull the documentation. She was in a, a pay option arm going to another pay option arm. I took her from a pickup pay into a pickup pay. And I'm like, she was already in a fucking one. Loan. Yeah. And then sued me for putting her in the next one. You know what the difference was? I got her 60 grand in cash in this one. <laughs> I know she was just 
And we did the research. He had been in five of these loans. So to your point, there was no personal accountability. Someone told her she could get more money than she already got. And at that point, I said, fuck all these people, man. This is crazy. Yeah. And I'm not going to say there wasn't people that didn't get taken advantage of. There yes. just was. For sure. Um, there was for sure. But to your point, like there is personal responsibility. And, and there was moral hazard that came out of that. And totally, man. A great, great word. Total moral hazard that came out. And I've I've always broken it down, Darius. I've said it's probably a 60-40, you know, because the banks knew. We, we knew all the regulations. We knew what we could get through, what we couldn't. So 60% of it fell on the brokers, the the banks, the, you know, the mortgage industry. Great. I'll throw that. But 40%, man, you, you got to know what, what you're signing. And, and, you know, to your point, there's a great story. We live in a litigious culture where no one wants to to take responsibility for for their actions. Okay, many people don't want to take responsibility right. for their actions. We want to blame others. We want to say it's somebody else's fault. We want to find someone to not to where I don't have to take responsibility for my actions. Are you guys enjoying the show so far? Darius here, and by now you might know that I'm passionate about a few things: pizza. Pink Unicorns, Core Values, and Down Dirty Interesting Conversation with some amazing people. However, the biggest one that I've spent most of my career on is entrepreneurship and scale. You see, look, my first few years in business, I spent like probably a good five years of my life getting my freaking teeth kicked. I mean, really getting crushed. And I learned a lot during that time period. So I spent the greater part of the last couple of years helping entrepreneurs scale their businesses in a meaningful way without going through the same growing pains that I did. And what I realized is that CEOs and business leaders don't know if they can scale, and thus they do the right thing at the wrong times. This causes them to lose clarity, lose momentum, alignment, and the bottom line is you lose money. And look, you don't have to do that. It's why I created what I call the scalability assessment, and you can access it 100% for free. That's right, guys. There are perks to listening to The Greatness Machine. All you have to do is go to DariusScale.com, that's D-A-R-I-U-S, scale, S-C-A-L-E.com, and there you can check to see if your business is set up to scale properly. It's going to give you a scalability score at the end, and it's also going to give you some clarity on what you can do next. Once again, guys, that's www.itsdariusscale.com. Once again, guys, it's DariusScale.com. And now back to the show. Yeah, and, and so so let me ask you a question because, um, and I'll pivot here because we, we went down the rabbit hole of mortgage. I didn't know we were going to go there. <laughs> hey, you started it. <laughs> I know, I, I know. But you know what's funny is it's what came out of that is you and I. It sounds like we grew up in mortgage, and you pivoted into <laughs> to software, which was really smart. I should have done the same. I I got my teeth kicked in. I came out of it actually pretty strong. Five years later, half a decade of my life just getting killed. But um. Where I ended up and where where I think you kind of ended up is you're on the board of conscious capitalism. Yep. And I was doing this conscious capitalistic type of work without knowing what it was, right? Like I wasn't, it wasn't formal. I wasn't involved in the organization, but I ended up um, getting into Stegen and I'm, I'm a Stegen yeah. rep now. And so I think that kind of goes to what we're talking about here, which is people don't want to take responsibility for their actions on both sides. And we call that stakeholder, right? In yeah. conscious capitalism. Why, why don't we talk a little bit about that? What do you do think? Do what, what do you think is the responsibility of the company, of the consumers when it comes to stakeholder responsibility, when it comes to having this idea of conscious capitalism, maybe walk us through how you got involved with that organization as well. So conscious capitalism for me, man, you know, I, I gave you my background where I came from and I grew up on welfare and, and, you know, poverty and, and, 
the low economic communities, public housing in, in crappy schools. And so conscious capitalism for me, I'll give you why I got involved, is you don't know what you don't know. And this kind of goes back to what we were just talking about with, with the, the mortgages. So growing up for me, man, there were three options out of my circumstances. There was rapper, athlete, drug dealer. And, uh, you know, I sucked at all three. So, the, the you know, but no one told me about the fourth option, entrepreneurship. No one told me that you could be an executive. You could be a business owner. You None of that. No, that was never explained to me. So I've always had this, this belief that you can be incredibly profitable. Like I, I don't, it hurts me to say nonprofit. I don't even, you know, I'm, I'm all about profit. And, and so I'm a, a capitalist through and through. But I do believe you can do make a ton of money and do great things with that money. So for me, my vein of conscious capitalism was to go back and show those low economic communities what's possible. And what I mean by that is there's no Chase Bank in a lower economic community, but there's a payday loan, there's a pawn right. shop. And so how am I supposed to even know I can be a bank teller? Think, get, get this one. Think about this. How am I supposed to know that I can even be a barista or what a barista is when there's no Starbucks in my community? Right. It's sad that these low economic communities can tell you what a food desert is, but they can't tell you what organic food is. Right. So what, what I wanted to do was in, in doing my part to, to mentor high risk youth was show them, OK, look, I come from where you come from. My name's Javon. Here's my my fractured background of where, where I come from. But here's what they didn't tell us. There's entrepreneurship. You can be a pharmaceutical rep. You can be it. You know, but I have to show you what it is. You know, if, if you don't know what it is, again, you don't know what you don't know. So I'm a, I'm gonna go here. I was like, am I gonna go here? Bucket, you said. Oh, no, go there, man. Take it. I'm going there. So let's, let's. So when we look right now at this idea of institutional racism, Black Lives Matter movement, there's and and I've talked um, with a lot of leaders about this. And when you talk about the way these communities are set up, that there is no, you know, there is no. You don't you don't see it, so you don't know it. If you don't know mm -hmm. it. You don't, do it right. There's there's an organization in Oakland, Berkeley, California called uh, Edible Schoolyard. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Uh, Alice Waters created it, and it's around. They would go into these inner city schools in Oakland, like deep, deep, you know, like low income areas of Oakland, and they would take the playgrounds and plant and, and plant gardens and teach mm. the and the kids would go in there and work in the gardens, and then they'd bring the food home and they'd eat garden grown food. You know, the first time to your point, food deserts. These kids for the first time would be eating something they actually grew themselves, right? right. Healthy, and fresh food. Exactly. And so this, it became this, this national movement. She won a huge award through uh, president Barack Obama for it when she, when he was president. And um, it's really cool. You might, you might want to check it out. But my, my point being is that when we ha see this racial divide and there's a lot of, of, there's a lot of people, there's two sides of the argument. People are saying you need to, well, you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make it. And, you know, you're probably a great example of someone that came from a fractured background to your point that did that. But the other arguments like, yeah, there are great examples of that, but from the greater standpoint, the results aren't where we want them to be. Right. And you have institutional issues that are quote unquote racist. What do you think about that? 
I 100% believe that. And, and you and I started this conversation and, and I'll give you a great example of it. You asked me at the very beginning before we came on, you said, do you go by JT or do you go by Javon? And so I'll give you the story behind this. When I was 20, 21 years old and I was you know, getting into my career and, and trying to land appointments and get on people's calendars, so on and so forth, you know, I, you know, I was Javon McCormick. Couldn't get on a calendar, couldn't get an appointment. And I thought, what the hell? And one individual got on a call with me and he said to me, he goes, how did you get a black name with an Irish last name? And it was the first time, one, it was the first time I even knew my last name was Irish. <laughs> and so that that was enlightening in itself. Um, but it hit me and I thought to myself, whoa. Okay, I'm in my, my middle name is Thomas. And so I said, I'm going to change my name to J.T. McCormick because it was uh, an amb amb ambiguous name. And so I said, okay, I'm going to edit myself and go by J.T. McCormick. Man, the next week, started getting appointments, started getting on calendars. And so from the age of 21 to the age of 48, because I just changed my name back to Javon back in June of, uh, of this year, uh, I went by JT. And the whole reason was because if you did not like me once I was in your office and you saw I was a person of color, great, I could live with that. But I needed you to see me first and judge me on my, my character, judge me on my work ethic. Don't judge me just because you saw my name. So, yes, there, there is incredible amounts of institutional uh, biases, racism, things of that nature. And, and, and I'll even go a step further. Why I decided in June to change it back to Javon, you saw the protest happening. And, and, and I'll say this out loud to defend some people. I did not like the status signaling me to look at look at me bullshit that was going on uh blackout tuesday are you kidding me people but oh, look i switched it to black in support of what but what changes that what is that what are you actually doing so you so you changed your twitter or or whatever else to black big damn deal and then we were we were talking about syrup bottles and changing the the character on a syrup bottle what does that do for these low economic communities that need real actual change and so for me the reason why i started going back to javon was i wanted every little boy and girl of color who come from the communities that i come from to see wow a javon made it out of here Mm -hmm. And I don't want them to have to just work with JTs. I want them to be able to see you can work with a Javon and it not be this, uh, you know, monumental issue that, wow, there's a, there's a Javon as in the, as a CEO. I mean, look at it, man. Look at the fortune 500 CEOs. There's only five of them, five black CEOs. Actually there's four. So here's their names. Marvin Ellison. Very, you know, you don't know what, what that is. Roger Ferguson, Kenneth Frazier, Renee Jones. Sounds like a bunch of uh, English and Irish dudes. Yes. And so that when I look at that, it, I wanted kids of color to that come from where I come from to see a Javon made it out of here. Now, to your point directly, 
yeah, there's so much more we can do. You know, there's arguments over corporate tax breaks and things of that nature. Why don't we give tax breaks to a Starbucks that maybe they set up a location in the inner city that they know is not going to be profitable? But you know what it does? It it gives people job opportunities. It shows them, you know, Starbucks is known for having good health care college assistance, tuition assistance, uh, great careers, they pay well, set up that in, in the inner city or low economic communities. And so people can see what's possible and then give a tax break for that. That yeah. that's, that's how you actually put tax breaks in place that are, that are beneficial for, for people. And, and since you brought it up, uh, conscious capitalism, I said that at one of the the CEO meetings and John Mackey was there. And I said, there's no whole foods in in the low economic communities I come from. We know what a a food desert is, but we don't know what organic food is. Yeah, it's it's, it's so funny when you're saying all these things, I started thinking. So my dad, my dad was Persian. My father passed away a long time ago, but he was Persian. My mom's white, the full Italian. And my name's Darius. My brother's name is Mehran. And... My brother quickly went to Mike when we were young, just because <laughs> you know, just you know, and, and we're you know we're born and raised in America, so we're American kids. I, and I, when my brother started selling, he not only changed his first, well, Mike he always went by, so that was nothing. But Mershazade did not work with selling loans, so he went to Shaz quickly because yeah. he's like, I'm not dealing with this shit, and he's a really good sales guy, so he went to Shaz right away. Yeah, my dad Hassan. When he ran his gas station, his name was Mike because yep. he was tired of dealing with people fucking his name up and being rude to him and calling him a sand nigger and all this other shit. Yep. And he was just like, fuck this. Like, I don't even need, I don't want to deal with any of this shit. He was an entrepreneur, right? And so what I like is the people that say there's no institutional racism are mostly white for the most part. And I'm like, yeah. How do you know? <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, and, you know, really? You've known this from your youth for a decade. And I was like, I haven't heard one person say some fucked up racial thing to me in like 10 years. I had forgotten. Yeah. I've been out of it. And like, and like, like I'm Middle Eastern. So, and I look kind of Italian. I, I'm half Italian. So I better look fucking Italian. But, you know, it's kind of questionable what my race is. I'm right, I'm right. Ambiguous, you know. But my name is super Persian. Darius Mershazadeh is like the most Persian name of all time. I'm on this Facebook feed and some guy goes, What's your background? We were doing some political warring because this is some Trump dude. And I was like, he's like, what's your background? I'm like, what do you mean? What's my background? He's like, yeah, where's your family from? I'm like, Anaheim. (laughs) He's like, no, where's your family originally from? And I'm I'm like, well, my mom grew up in a steel mill town in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Where are you going with this dude? And he's like, yeah. And then he finally gets out. Where's your father from? I said, my father was born in Iran. Okay, Ahmed starts busting out. Oh, shit. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, huh. I said, yeah. hey, hey, motherfucker. I said, you didn't ask me my middle name. And he said, what's your middle name? I said, John, you motherfucker. Quit <laughs> <laughs> with your stupid shit, you fucking racist idiot. You know, <laughs> sorry. You've got me going. <laughs> hey, man, I, I trust me. I all the time I tell people, look, you want to have a conversation about race, but l- let me in because let me let me explain to you what it's like when black people don't like you because you're half white and white people don't like you because you're half black and you have nowhere to fit in. And, yeah. and so it's man, race is definitely 
a component of our society. It always will be. That that yeah, that's the, the the fact of the matter. It always will be. So I look at this at a deeper standpoint of it it's not just a race issue. It's also an economic issue. In that in that for in my opinion, for people of color, that is an even bigger issue than the race component. It's an economic issue. You look at the Fortune 500 and you only have four black CEOs. That's an economic issue. And so I, I'm more interested in how do we teach, coach, and mentor these lower income communities to understand the power of capitalism. I know for me, capitalism changed, changed my life, man. It's what, why I, I have what I have. It's why I am where I am. But if you don't know, you don't know. Man, I, you and I got to take this offline because I really want to get involved in, in doing more of that stuff. And that's what I've been saying all along, too, is I'm, to your point, the real issue is an economic issue. Yeah. It's a socioeconomic issue where there's a disproportionate amount of poverty in the in the races like brown people and black people. And, and, and but you have the same issue if you're a poor white person. Right. Yes. Yes. You just don't get discriminated against at your name. It's when they hear you talk or see you or whatever it is. Right. Right. And so but but it's a socioeconomic issue. It goes down to education. It goes down to creating opportunity. And I have a friend that runs a nonprofit out of um, Texas in uh, Dallas, Texas. And that's really what it is. We talked about this on one of the shows where she's saying, look, people like there's implicit bias in opportunities. When you go to these lower income schools, these kids don't know how to get into college. They don't have their parents are poor. They don't know that there's like programs to give them loans. They don't know that there's programs that are available to them grants and all this stuff. They, they, they don't even know what's there. So for us, you, man. They, it doesn't matter if they're there, if they don't know that they're there. You don't know what you don't know. Hey, I, I'll, I'll share the story with you real quick, man. So I when, when they, they closed the halfway house here in, in Austin, but there used to be a halfway from house the juvenile here. prison system to the halfway house back into society. So I volunteered and I remember the superintendent that was there, Brother Smith, uh, the, I asked him, I said, so what do these boys need? He said, they need jobs. I said, okay, why don't they have them? He said, I don't know. And so I, I go over and I stand in front of the boys and I said, okay, today we're going to role play. And they looked at me with this blank face, like, what the hell is role play? And I realized, oh man, I got to really take this back to the beginning. And I said, okay, so we're going to shake hands, man, 60% of the kids tried to pound me up with their fist. They they didn't even know how to shake hands. And the ones that did gave you the, the limp hand, look down at their feet. And so I said, okay, you all are looking to get your first jobs. You're going to, let's pretend you're walking into Burger King. Tell me how you're going to ask for a job. And the one boy comes up to me and he was a black kid. And he says, y'all hiring? And I said, not you. And he said, why? And I said, no, here's what you're going to say when you walk in. Excuse me, sir. Do you have any employment opportunities? I said, you're probably going to have a job before you leave. And, and he's like, why? I said, because no one else is saying that when they walk in there. Right. So my point being, over the course of the, the next four weeks, all of these kids, except one, because he wasn't old enough, they all got jobs. Wow. And so, so my, my, and I, man, I was so proud. I'd come in on Tuesdays and these kids would tell me how they got a 10 cent raise or Mr. McCormick, I got more hours. Mr. McCormick, I got a job at, at Walmart. And they were so proud because they had accomplished something. Yeah. And in what it is, like I said, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And it's, there's so much here. My gosh. <laughs> 
we we got to wind down the show, man. Damn it! I got, I didn't realize I had a, I had a two o'clock, and I was like, "You got a hard stop, bro." I got the hard stop. Um, I'm supposed to be on my board meeting right now, and I'm like, um, "Hey, I'm going to be a few minutes late." Um, listen, I you and I got to chop this up more. We got this is so fun. I, I love what, what what you're doing. I didn't even get to tell you that your team at Scribe, by the way. I told I got to tell Tucker this, so you get to hear it too because you're the CEO and. And you own it. You own you own the failures. They get the wins, but you get to hear about their wins. So I will tell you that you guys are top-notch organization, top to bottom. I was super impressed with my experience with you guys. Not even just so much as obviously a product is helping authors get their message out to the world. And that, that was great. But I was looking at you guys the whole, whole way through mechanically from process, follow-up, cultural behavior. I was like, forget about the product. Let's, let's talk. We're going to end where we started. Fuck the product for a second. I was watching at how you guys interacted, who followed up when someone was out of town, who came in behind them, all these things that a CEO would look at and judge another company by. And you guys checked all the boxes. You guys crushed it. Oh my man, you just made my day. That's like you said, every CEO wants to hear that. Yeah, you did. You did. Erica Hoffman is a fucking badass. So, but the whole team was, everyone was, she was my direct go-to, but there were so many times where people had to step in for whatever reason. And I would, all the handoffs were nice handoffs. All the handbacks were nice handbacks. Every problem that came up got handled quickly and efficiently. Yeah. You guys have built a great organization. My man, Darius, I appreciate it. And you're right, man. We, we're, we're here in the same damn city. We got we to gotta get together, man. And if, if you want to do this again ever, we, we got to do it in person. I do. There's so much. We're just getting started because I actually want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about some of the solutions on how to fix this stuff through getting in, getting in deep with these communities, CEOs like myself and yourself making change happen. Because I think I'm, I, I've been thinking about this for a while and you and I think you could help me get more involved. So well, man, just remember, I said this, the next thing we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about backpack and supplies. All right. Backpack and supplies. Um, look, where can people find you? Let's get get you con- connected with you. Uh, man, the, the, personally, the easiest place to find me, I'm on one social media uh, platform. It's LinkedIn. I, I that's That's what I found to be at least kind of the most professional one. So I'm on LinkedIn or you can come to us, you know, scribewriting.com is where the, where the company is. So there you have it, man. Yeah, guys, hook up with Javon on LinkedIn. Uh, check them out at scribemedia.com too. That they, they have, if you are thinking about writing a book, and I know a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs and CEOs and people that just have great stories. Yeah, check them out. It was it was one of the great, better experiences I've had ever, uh, probably in my professional career of working with this company. And um, now we're gonna plug my book. Boom! These guys made it happen. It wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Tucker and the company that J- Javon and Tucker are building with um, a bunch of other great people who I'm probably leaving out right now. But guys, go on. Thank you, Javon. First of all, man, so much gratitude, my friend. Oh man, this was great. This was great. High energy. This this was phenomenal. I I don't just say that, man. If if, if I don't mean it, I don't say it. This was phenomenal. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. I especially appreciate singing "Proud Mary" uh, as Tina Turner to you. And uh, <laughs> next time you're on, I can't promise it won't be another amazing song because it probably will. Everybody, sign up at The Real Darius M on Facebook. Go to www.therealdarius.com. Go, dude, buy the book, review the book, subscribe on the YouTube channel. We got more coming up. I got another show later on today with Rich Manders. Rich is a stud, CEO coach. We're going to talk about Sparkle. I'm going to leave, I'm not even going to tell you what Sparkle is, but. Wow. Good. We're going to talk about Sparkle, which is all around how to not get fucked by the private equity when you sell your company. 
Wow. When you you drop sparkle and you got a pink unicorn in the background, that's next level shit right there. Yeah, Yeah, baby. Guys, talk to you guys later. Peace out. Love you. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Guys, The Greatness Machine is all about two things. People who are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world. And we feature these messages and speakers so it can help you step into your greatness within your own life and your own business. If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform you're tuning in from and leave us a review. We love getting reviews for the show. If the episode made you think of someone who is leveling up in their business and life, print screen it, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to learn from one another. You can also go to our website, www.thegreatnessmachine.com. That's www.thegreatnessmachine.com. And on there, you'll see special tools to help you scale your business faster, show notes for the episode to help you integrate the lessons, and you will also get links that came out during the show. So on there, look, you can also grab a copy of my book, The Core Value Equation, which is a resource for helping CEOs and business leaders establish core values from their teams that don't suck. And mind you, a lot of them suck. Get access to this and more at www.thegreatnessmachine.com. With that said, you guys, look, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We out of here. See you guys next time. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.